Thank you. You may be seated. It's a privilege to be here today. I didn't ask to speak, but they asked me to speak, and uh, they wanted me to talk about the history. So I'm not going to preach, um, and I'm going to tell it from my personal point of view. I did write some of it and put it in our minister's forum, but some of this you may not have heard of before. If you have, bear with me. And uh, it's going to be from my perspective, so I, I hope it doesn't sound too egotistical. I hope what you'll see is God is the one who's done the miraculous works. Um, but I want to tell a candid story. And I want to say there have been so many people who've been a part of this story. And I think uh, Brother Jesse Williams who was our first chairman of the board. He was assistant general superintendent. He was really a driving force. Um, and then Brother Hathaway from Canada, Sister Trout, uh, and now Brother Williford. These are our four chairs of the board. All of them played a vital role. Our board, I can't mention all the names, but it was not just like a normal board that shows up once or twice a year. This was a working board. This is a board who gave money. This is the board who prayed. This is the board who agonized. This is a board when we faced many impossible situations. We prayed and saw God do miracles. And then I would like to mention our administrators. Uh, and, of course, you're going to hear from Dr. Colthorpe later, so I'll save you for last. Uh, but I really appreciate the administrators. Uh, James Littles, Jr. was a, our first vice president. And then uh, I'm so glad to see Sister Evelyn Jury. Dr. Evelyn Jury became our chief of administration, our dean of administration. Uh, Dr. Bo Bobby Moorhead helped us when we were starting Urshan College. And then Sister Jenny Russell has been a vital part, and I will, I will take credit for hiring her. So if I did anything good, you can, you can give me credit for that, okay? All right, because she's played such a vital role for many years now. And, uh, and then our founding faculty, uh, Dr. David Norris, who I, I, is the, the original and is still serving. Um, and Dr. James... Dr. James Littles, and I think he's going to be teaching here again coming up, and, uh, and then our first librarian, uh, Brother Truman, and then shortly after, uh, not quite the original but close, Dr. Ray Crownover, who's passed away. But those are our core that we started with, and I'm sure there's many others deserving, but I wanted to at least say those few. I hope I didn't miss um, any one of, those, of that number. But let me just give you a background. Uh, Timothy Dugas, pastor here in uh, St. Louis area, presbyter and president of Gateway. I believe he got the ball rolling in 1998 with a committee to form a graduate school. I got involved in 1999 through Arliss Glass, who was the superintendent of education. And he was deeply, uh, he, he wanted... Uh, a graduate school, his love was for the military chaplaincy. And so he wanted to make sure our chaplains would get a degree from an apostolic school. And so in 1999, he contacted me, asked if I would serve on a formation committee. And I was busy doing other things. I said, well, I can't come to all the meetings, but I'll come when I can. So, okay. And uh, so from that, um, the committee made a proposal which was approved by the General Conference. The General Conference in 1999 voted to start Urshan Graduate School of Theology. I had somewhat mixed motives because I told Brother Glass, well, why don't we start with an undergraduate Christian college? 
because it seems like you need your undergraduate before you graduate. And they, he said, well, that's not going to be possible because Bible colleges will feel like that's, even though the Christian liberal arts college would be a different concept, it would be too close to the Bible college. It would, it would be a non-starter. The only way you could start is the graduate level, which seemed backwards to me, but I, he was right. So that's fine. I'm philosophical about it. Whatever y'all want to do is fine. Wherever the general conference votes, I, I'm good with it. And so we had our first, after the general conference voted in early 2000, we had our committee meeting to say, okay, let's get serious. What are we going to do? We've got the approval. Now what? So in that meeting, of course, Brother Glass buttonhole me and says, I want you to be the president. I said, no, Brother Glass, because we served together on the Texas District Board. So he was uh, an elder and mentor, but a friend. And I said, no, Brother Glass, we, you know, I'm, God called me to Austin. I'm starting a church. I'm in a building program. You can just forget that. And so in the meeting, they asked me to serve as president. And I said, no, because, you know, uh, I, I had been working as associate editor. That's how I uh, supported myself to start the church. So we're now building our phase two sanctuary to seat 600. We've got about 400 people. It's time for me to go full-time with church, right? And so I resigned as the associate editor so I could devote my time to the church. And I was also a presbyter. And so I said, no, God's called me to Austin. He hasn't called me to St. Louis. He hasn't called me to be a president of anything like that. And uh, anyway, you'd have to raise a lot of money, and I'm not interested in doing that. I don't want that financial pressure. I've got enough going trying to build a sanctuary in Austin. And so in the board meeting, they talked about it. And I said, I'm not resigning the church. So they said, well, let's appoint a committee. And uh, I said, well, what would they said, we want you. You could still be pastor. I said, well, what kind of president do you want? Because if you want a fundraising president, I'm not the one. They said, well, don't worry about that. We've got a committee that's going to take care of that. You don't have to worry. We've got Brother Anthony Mangan, Sister Janet Trout, and, and we've got Nathaniel Urshan, the general superintendent, and he's going to be behind all this. You don't have to worry about the money. We just need somebody that has academic credentials and theological credentials. And at that particular point in our history, we had a number of well-known preachers and Bible teachers, but they didn't have advanced degrees. And we had some people with advanced degrees, but they weren't known as a Bible teacher. So they said, we need both. You're the person. And we'll do it part-time. You can stay in Austin. You can pastor. We'll raise the money. We just need you to make sure academically it's on track, theologically it's on track. So I thought, well, I could do that. And I'll be honest, I did not feel called to the job. I did it because my organization asked me to do it. And they convinced me that at this particular time, we need someone who has both of those credentials at the same time. And I had taught uh, as adjunct faculty at University of Houston, Austin Community College. I taught full-time at Jackson College of Ministries. And, and I taught classes for several of our Bible colleges. The first uh, Excel, the extension course for Texas Bible College. And so, so I did have experience practically. And uh, I did have some degrees, and I did have, uh, I studied at Wesley Biblical Seminary, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought, okay, it makes sense. I can do this for a while. Uh, so I'll be honest with you, I did not feel called to do it. I did it because the UPCI asked me to do it. And uh, many times I looked back and said, you know what? I should have prayed and fasted for a week, and I would have known better. There are many times I felt like I missed the will of God. But from this vantage point, I'm glad that I'm not president, and I'm glad that I did it. 
but maybe somebody else could have done it uh, without the, the agony. I don't know. So I became president in 2000. Now, you have to understand, to our knowledge, there was not one UPCI credentialed preacher who had a doctorate in theology or religion. In other words, there were zero people qualified to teach at this new graduate school. So my first job was to find teachers. Well, we did, we did have Brother Norris was finishing up. So in 2000, he got his doctorate, so he became our first qualified faculty member. <laughs> Praise God. And then Brother Littles, he was working on his doctorate, so we hired him, and his first job was to finish his doctorate. So we had two. And then we hired Brother Truman. His first job was to get his master's degree in, in library science. Um, and then a little bit later on, Dr. Crownover had a degree in education, so he couldn't teach theology, but he could teach education. And I thought, well, if all these guys, I had a doctor of jurisprudence, so I, I couldn't teach theology except as a guest lecturer, but I could teach administration, all that kind of stuff. So I said, look, if I'm going to be leading a group of uh, these um, theologians, then I'm going to have to you know, get ahead of the game. So that's when I enrolled in my master's program and eventually my doctorate so that I could uh, credibly stay ahead of them or do the job that I'm supposed to do. And so we started in 2001 with 10 students. We didn't know who would show up. So uh, God blessed us. We, uh, in 2010, I was elected as general superintendent. So obviously I couldn't do both jobs, so I told the board in our meeting in January, I'm resigning, you can get someone else. And they said, wait a minute, we're in the last stages of accreditation. You have to stay until we get accredited. And I'll just say, and I'll be candid, we had excellent, highly qualified people leading us to accreditation. But they were so excellent that the bar was super high. And we'd never had such an accreditation in our history. So they didn't want to just barely make it. They wanted to kill it because they didn't want any chance of failure. Well, to do that, you have to spend lots of money, which we didn't have. And so I said, we're going to do it well, but we're not going to kill it. We're going to get it done. And so I said, we have to apply. They said, no, we, got it. we need another year. We need another year. We need some more money. We need more staff. We need. And finally, I said, look, I'll take total responsibility as president. We're going to apply, and if we fail... You could tell the whole world it's Brother Bernard's fault. But we are going to apply. So in 2010, the board said, can you still stay president until 2011? Because if you tell the accrediting association that you're quitting, you know, that's going to mess everything up. So you have to at least say. So I said, okay. So we got accreditation in 2010. And so we're home free. So I'm thinking 2011, I can do this. You know, we're, I, I had some things to do at on the UPCI side, uh, you know, we, we had some things financially, we're in a tough situation and et cetera. So there were a lot of things that had to be done there. So I didn't really have time on the graduate school side. So if I can just get through 2011. Well, the problem is we are sharing the campus with Gateway. We're renting from Gateway. We're sharing some faculty and staff. We're sharing the library. So an essential part of our, our operations was that we could have Gateway as our base. Well, Gateway was getting into trouble financially. Uh, they had excellent leadership, but it was a tough situation. They were seeking accreditation. They were having to borrow a couple hundred thousand a year every year just to pay for the bills. And they got to the point where they couldn't get any more credit. 
And so they said, well, if we transition into a Christian liberal arts college, we feel like that's a model of success. And uh, they proposed that UPCI would acquire them. So the bank said, if you can make this happen, we'll give you credit for one more year. So they, the Gateway Board came to the UGST Board and said, we'd like to give ourselves to you and become a Christian liberal arts college. We think that's a way of financial viability. What do you think? And, of course, uh, I knew there would be opposition. I didn't really know how much. I've been superintendent now. It's my second year, and I'm up for election, my first re-election. And, uh, and they want to start a Christian liberal arts college, which there was some intense opposition. And I tried to explain this would be different from a Bible college, but that was the concern, that it would compete with our Bible colleges. And so uh, I had mixed emotions because I knew this was a huge undertaking, and I knew the financial pressure would go through the roof. Now, I need to give you a little backstory. Um, we were owned and operated by UPCI, but the financial support was there but very limited. In fact, there was a time I received a letter from headquarters that gave me 60 days to come up with a year's worth of pledges or else. And so Brother Mangan was on that finance committee, so I just told Brother Mangan, I'm going to resign as president. This, is a nice, this letter is a nice way of saying, please resign. Um, and so I'm going to do what I'm told to do. I respect authority, and they've asked me to resign. I will resign. Brother Mangan said, no. Let's go to Because of the Times, and let's raise a year's worth of support. And uh, so that's what we did. And so Brother Mangan said, you've got to support the graduate school. So we raised a year's worth of support, and we were able to continue and move forward from that basis. Of course, I didn't tell this part of the story, but you realize that, yes, uh, it, it became my responsibility to raise the money. And so many months we didn't have the money for payroll. And so I'd ask, Rhonda Morley was, was my uh, executive assistant, and so I would say, Rhonda, tell, ask Brother Lills if he can wait for his check, ask Brother Norris if he can wait for his check, give me another week or two, I think I can have the money raised, but can they just wait? And uh, I would call Brother Williams, Brother Williams, what can your church give? And I would ask my secretary, what can we give from New Life? And uh, my wife and I had a credit line when we were under construction of the church. Sometimes we'd run out of money, so we'd just write a, a check, a credit line, and then we'd figure out how to pay for it later. So there were times I would just write a check over my credit line, give it to Rhonda, she would deposit it, and we would make payroll. And then we'd figure out how to get that money some later time. And so we went through some of those years like that, and every year is a miracle story. Every year... It was just, we need 100000 we need 200000 we need 300000 And every year, you never knew how it was going to happen, but it happened. So I knew when we started the grad, the grad school is one thing. But starting undergraduate school, that's going to raise it by five times. And it would, it would be a, a monstrous challenge. So I wasn't really looking forward to it. However, if we said no, gateway closed, we'd lose our campus where would we go? And so my plan B was to go in the warehouse at UPCI. But then as we looked into that, um, it was going to be exorbitant even to go there because of the earthquake codes. We'd have to redo the foundation. So even that wasn't a very good plan. 
And so I let it go through the process. It went to the general board there because I felt like it should go to the general board, even though it really the general board didn't have to vote. But I felt like in all fairness, they needed to decide, not me, not the Urshan board, but the general board. There was intense discussion on the general board. And uh, we had a full discussion. And I said, well, let's take a vote. And we normally take a voice vote, took a voice vote. And it was defeated. So I had mixed emotions because on the one hand, I felt like it was a viable plan so that UGST would survive. And also, I felt like it was an opportunity for a Christian liberal arts college, which I felt from the very beginning we needed. But I didn't see a way forward. But this could be a miraculous way forward. On the other hand, I knew I was asking for intense opposition and in intense fundraising. So I took the voice vote, and I said, well, it was voted down. Let's go to the next item of business. And somebody from the back room said, Brother Bernard, I call for a division of the house. I would like a secret ballot. I don't know who it was. I said, okay. Rick, Rick Stoops, Brother Stoops, we call for a division of house secret ballot, and it passed by a two-thirds majority. Now, what I didn't tell you is a week before, I was already at the general conference in the hotel, and I got a call from a personal friend who's an entrepreneur. And he says some years ago, he'd started several businesses that made millions of dollars, and he started a foundation. He said, I started this foundation to benefit UPCI Ministries. But it's gotten tangled up, and I won't go through all the details. It's a very complicated story. But it's gotten tangled up in legal governmental issues, and I, because of my other business interests, I have to walk away from it. He says, there's a lot of money in there, but I don't know. The government may take it all. I don't know what's going to happen. But if you would get directors, accountants, and lawyers, I will give you the foundation. And whatever you can get out of it, you can spend it for whatever you want. So I said, well, we're thinking about starting a school. What about that? He says, hey, whatever you decide, sounds good. It's up to you. Well, it was a lot of money, but I didn't know how much we would get, and it's so speculative. But it, that gave me the inkling God could do a miracle. I didn't tell the general board because I felt it was too speculative. So when they voted, they had no idea. And of course, I had no idea. Had no idea. I did ask the faculty to pray. To make a long story short, two years later, we got $2,225,000 out of that deal. And that's what we used to pay all the startup costs for Urshan College. I'd, I'd gotten a million-dollar check before, but never a two-million-dollar check. So that was a two-million-dollar miracle that just came out of the blue. The very, it, it didn't come until two years later, but the contact came the very week we were trying to make a decision to start Urshan College. So there's so many other stories I could tell, but I want to fa fast forward to, uh, and, and, and I'm just being very plain with you. The, a lot of people were concerned, what's this going to do to our Bible college? So I met with the Bible college leaders, and I said, look, I want all of our Bible colleges to grow and to succeed. I believe they will. I believe if we promote education across the board, a rising tide will lift all boats. And we're not going to be hurting each other. We're going to be helping each other. When we promote education, not everybody's going to come to Urshan. They're going to go, if we convince them they need education, they're going to evaluate all the options and go, and all of us are going to benefit. 
I said, the problem is not internal competition. We cl- if you count Gateway, we closed down five Bible colleges in a 25-year period. We went from 2,000 students to 600 students. But our kids were going to secular college. I mean, in a, in a, in a couple years, we were having 35,000 students at uh, North American Youth Congress. So the problem is not the market. So instead of fighting over a shrinking pie... A fight over 600 students, we got to figure out a way to reach 35,000. So we've got to innovate. So I said, I see three ways. I see there are three ways Bible colleges can succeed. Number one, get accredited because that's where people are going. Number two, if you don't want to get accredited, it's not your mission. Explain why what you have to offer as far as ministry training is unique and you can't find anywhere else. And I think people buy into that. But I said, now you have a third option. You can say, we have a mission, but if accreditation is important to you, we will partner with Urshan. And you can have the best of both worlds. You can go to our Bible college, but then you can also work a deal with Urshan. And we, we started doing that where people from our Bible colleges, even though the degrees were not accredited, through our long, arduous process, we got approval that we could accept them into our graduate program, and they could come out with an accredited master's degree. So we were already doing that. I said we can do the same with undergraduate. And to make a long story short, that has proven true because our total Bible college enrollment, even outside of Urshan, is, is greater than it ever has been, at least when I, I've been superintendent. So all of our Bible colleges are potentially on a very positive track. Some of them have either gotten accredited or are getting accredited. So I think we've helped improve the culture. Now there are many people with doctorates and master's degrees of all kinds that just give us the ability for you know, quite a few things. So anyway, we had to work through that, uh, that challenge or that opposition or that concern, that fear, which is understandable and legitimate. I, I understand all that. But fast forward, we're trying to get a cre- So in 2012, we started Urshan College and immediately started working on accreditation. And again, I, we had some highly qualified, capable professionals, but they wanted a Harvard-level education. And they said it was going to be 2025 before we could get accreditation or something like that. I said, we cannot do that. We're going to have to do it a lot faster, and we're, we're not going to cut corners, but we're going to do it where it needs to be. We're not going to start at Harvard. We're going to start as a community college level. We're going to start as a junior college level, and then we're going to work ourselves up to a four-year college level, and we're going to spend enough money but not any more money than we have to. And yes, you're going to have to double up on your jobs. I'm doubling up on my jobs, so I don't see why some of the rest of you can't double up on your jobs. <laughs> so I, I said it more not, not, nicer than that, but at least I think. Am I right, Brother Norris? I don't know. He might have his own take after this is over. You're welcome to talk to him. Uh, but anyway, and so I said, we're going to have to do this. And time after time, I was told it can't be done. I finally hired an outside consultant, and they said, yeah, you can do this. What you're talking about can be done. And so in 2018, we were scheduled for candidacy, which for all practical purposes would be provisional accreditation. And so, you know, the, the board told me, you got to stay as president until accreditation. So every year, I was trying to find a way to get rid of this. And, well, I mean be realistic. Uh, I had two full-time jobs, 
And uh, anyway, many people have got emails at midnight from me because that was my sweet spot for doing my urchin work was 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. was when I could get my work done for, for urchin. So um, I wasn't able to be out of the campus as much as I wanted. I wasn't able to be connecting with the students. Uh, I think Brother Coulthar was doing a much better job than I was because I just was not um, available as much as a present needs to be. But anyway, um, so we're facing this. And so we thought we had an understanding with the crediting agency. If we can just get to candidacy, then I could step down. But the site visit was a shocking thing because several things happened. The first thing was somebody anonymously reported us to the president of the Higher Learning Commission saying we were getting ready. I don't even to this day know what it was. But basically something was going to blow up on our campus and we were not going to be qualified. And so my, the liaison contacted me and she says, Dr. Bernard, I just need you to be candid. Whatever's going on there, if you'll tell me, I'll try to help you manage it. But if you don't tell me and the site team comes and they deal with this, you're going to be denied. And I said, in all honesty, I do not know what you're talking about. Sure, we have our challenges, but we're better off financially. We've got this. We got that. We got that. We're the best we've ever been. I have no idea who's, who made this report. Well, it's confidential. It was made directly to our president. So to this day, I don't know who that person was. So that was, we went into the site visit wondering what's going to be the bombshell. What do I not know about? And during that time, I, I want to be careful how I word this, but, you know, I've found sometimes that these credit agencies trying to help us by getting religious people to come. But what they don't realize, we're oneness Pentecostal. Sometimes religious people are the worst people to come. Secular or Catholic or liberal Protestant are much more tolerant of our beliefs and so I don't know what the reason might be, but that, that site team said, you know, we're not going to approve you with you still being in the dual role of superintendent or president because, and I knew that, we got to divide this. But I said, well, I was told we could wait till after candidacy. Well, they had a different opinion. And then, so I could take my chances. I could go with their advice or not. And then they found some other things where they felt like some unknown faculty members were not qualified, but they never would tell us what. So, for, so I resigned as president. But, of course, that didn't help because now who's going who's gonna to leave the school? So, of course, Sister Russell was the interim president. But we went to the key meeting that April, and I, as, I, as the immediate past president, uh, made our case. And I we were kind of a little aggravated that they would raise these unknown questions. So we made a list of every single faculty member, every course they taught, and we documented that they were qualified for every single course that they taught. So we had this giant report. So we go in the meeting, and I said, I'm not sure what the concern is, but here's the documentation for every single course of every professor. We meet the qualifications. We exceed all qualifications. So the chair looked over at the person who had written the reports that said we weren't qualified. So, well, what, what is your reply? And basically, well, I think 
I don't have a reply. They've documented their case. So we got candidacy. And so now I could relax. Well, in the meantime, I'll give credit or blame to Sister Russell, whichever you prefer. She says, we've got to have a new campus. Can I begin the search? I said, yes, you can begin the search. And so we did an analysis that our existing campus would need $1 million worth of upgrade just to house the existing capacity with proper utilities and so on. Uh, we were having problems with water, sewage. We didn't have air conditioning. We, uh, electricity, as, as I said, we were giving Global Missions credit for people who lived in the dorm. But anyway. <laughs> so, so it would take $1 million of upgrades plus $6 million for a new building, we would have to have a million dollars just to use the campus as intended. We would have to have a total of $7 million to go to the next level, which we fully expected once we got accreditation. So we started looking around. It was a miracle. This campus was appraised for $7 million, and we could get it, as it turned out, for $6.1 million. So right there, it was cheaper than the alternative. So we come to the, so we sign the contract, we do the due diligence, but in the due diligence we find there was a lot more required to upgrade and we were going to need to raise, we already knew we were going to need to raise, what was it, a couple million, but we, then we realized we needed another million and that was just a bridge too far. So in our board meeting, I was no longer the president, but I was the general superintendent, I was the chancellor. So we had this intense debate. Do we stay in the campus where we are and just cap our growth and say we're not going to grow anymore? Do we try to raise money to expand the campus or buy some property around? Do we buy this property, but even though it's a good deal, but we can't afford it? And so half the board felt one thing, half the board felt the other. And, of course, eventually they were looking to me because even though I'm not the president, I'm the superintendent. So if they make a deal and the deal falls through, guess who? has to raise the money. Guess who has to back it up? It's going to be the general superintendent. So at the end of the day, the board was split 50-50 on what to do. They said, what do you think? So I said, let's offer them $5 million. Let's knock it down $1.1 million, and then that will solve our problems. It was ridiculous. It's a praise for $7 million. So Brother Bab called, them and, and they had another sale in the works that they put on hold because of us. So I, said, so I said to the board, why don't we get what they say, and then tomorrow we'll know and we'll decide. So tonight we can pray about it. I want to go through the numbers again just to make sure. Give us a night, and then tomorrow we'll have the answer from those people, and we'll have the answer from the Lord, and we'll know. Well, Brother Bab, call me. I'm on the way. We would finished our board meeting. I'm on the way for the preview weekend from UGST, and I'm supposed to preach. So I'm in the car, Brother Bab calls and says, they've lowered the price from 6.1 to 5.3 million. It's not five that you said, but 5.3. But here's the problem. They want an answer tonight because they're ready to go with the other deal tomorrow. And so I'm on my way, and we have supper, and we are preaching. And I don't consider myself really that spiritual. To be honest, I'm being honest. I'm just average preacher. But I said, Lord, 
you know, I really needed time to pray. I needed time to think this through. But I don't have time. I've got 15 minutes while I'm driving in the car. And then I've got to be there and I've got to preach. I don't have time to pray like I'm supposed to. I don't have time to get this in my mind and think it through and go through the numbers and see if it's even possible. Look at our history. Look at our projections. Go through all, all that accounting and analysis. I don't have time. So, Lord, I've got to have an answer. And here's what the Lord said. He said, what are you supposed to preach tonight? And I said the title is Seizing Your Opportunity. God said that's your answer. I convened the board over supper. And I said, I feel like I, I, I feel okay about this. And they said, well, if you feel okay, we're okay. That's how we voted to acquire this campus. And that same meeting, I took, I'm sorry, I think I took an extra five minutes or more. I don't know. But that same meeting, we elected Dr. Brent Colthar as the president of Urson College and Urson Graduate School of Theology. Would you stand? And uh, Dr. Coltharp is doing a better job than I did. I'm very glad of that. And I hope he excels. I want to see at least 1,000 students. I believe I'll see it. God bless you. We love you, Brother Coltharp. We're behind you. We're with you. Amen. Don't we love and appreciate Brother Bernard? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I, I was thinking as he was telling, especially that last part of the story, I had a lot of different thoughts going right at that same time. We were sort of on different tracks <laughs> that weekend because I was elected president to be uh, on Howder Shell. And a few hours later, before I'd even went to bed that night, we had purchased a brand new campus. <laughs> in fact, I was supposed to take office in January. And so I told Rachel, uh, of course, been asked to consider this for months ahead of time and, and a lot of that. And I said, well, you know, uh, nothing happens till January. Um, we'll get through the holidays. And then, of course, I had to fly back the next, uh, just a couple days later to sign papers and to start the process, but to be here tonight, God has done some amazing things for the Urshan community. God has done amazing things. I'm here to talk about our, our present and going in our future. There'll be a little bit of overlap, but just to talk about going forward and, and where we're going, we have a bright future. Uh, I heard about Billy Graham one time. He was, uh, during the early years, he was in South Carolina and he was going there to do a crusade. He needed to mail a letter. And he asked a boy on the street that he found, he asked him, he said, uh, I need to mail a letter. Can you give me directions to the post office? And he said, sure. You just go right down uh, Main Street here, a couple blocks, and then turn, turn to right. Post office will be there. And he thanked him. And he said, you know, if you, if you don't have anything to do tonight, I'm going to be at this particular location, and I'm gonna, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. And he said, Boy said, no, thank you. He said, you don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> or are you going to tell me how to get to heaven? 
And so sometimes when we talk about vision and going forward, uh, it can be a little bit troubling if we don't know where the post office is, and yet we're wanting to go somewhere down the road. When, uh, when the committee had asked me to allow my name to be considered and to be a part of it, and then just it, it ended up happening in that November, I went home and, of course, was really praying a whole lot, pretty much because the testimony you just heard uh, about uh, responsibilities and, and funds and uh, campus and all of the things included in that, and still pray daily about those things. And I received a development letter because we, I, throughout all the things that Brother Bernard's talking about going back, I was serving either on Gateway Board or then came back to the Urshan Board afterwards and was even part of uh, the committee that was making the presentation to the General Board for Urshan College. And so I'd been there throughout that time. And I got a letter from the development office. So I was opening up because we've always supported UGST and, and, uh, and was going to support this. And, and it said, uh, winter greetings from St. Louis. And it's at the end, it's that time of year. It's just, a, I've been president maybe two weeks or so. And it's thanking me for contributing to St. Louis. And I got to the second paragraph. And, and I'm reading this in my office. And it says, we are also excited about our newly elected president, Dr. Brent Cawthop. Dr. Cawthop has served Urshan as a board member for many years and has an incredible vision for continued growth into the future. And a little bit later, it says, an amazing tour that God has opened. Urshan will continue to grow and thrive for many years to come. And I'm sitting in my office, and I'm like, I, I hope this Christopher Brainos is a prophet or something like that. <laughs> because where this incredible vision is at, I'm concerned about making it just uh, next month and getting onto a new campus. <laughs> but it's amazing how God has worked all throughout this time. Heard about this wealthy man who was known for being quite eccentric, and he was having a big party at his house. And so he, uh, he decided to do something quite interesting. He filled his pool with alligators and sharks, and he said, anybody who will swim across the pool, he says, I'll give you anything you want. In a few minutes, there's a big splash, and he turned and looked. Sure enough, there's a man in the pool, and he was swimming for everything he had. He was dodging sharks. He was pushing alligators aside. He got to the other side. He crawled out. The eccentric billionaire said, you know, you, sir, are the most, the bravest person I've ever met. Now, what in the world do you want? He said, I want one thing. I want to know who is the person that pushed me in. <laughs> I'm so glad Sister Norris is here. We are Urshan. We are Urshan. And so I'm here today to celebrate a lot of things. First of all, the vision that has been realized. The reason I got involved going back in the board was because of the vision. Because of the vision. Uh, I was passionate about an accreditation in Apostolic and that we have, we have a, a seminary that is credited with the Association of Theological Schools. This makes a huge difference, as, as we'll talk about a little bit later. And then uh, Urshan College and UGST pursuing accreditation with the Higher Learning Commission. And so we, we are here tonight to say that those things that for years, and even when we decided to go for early accreditation, was told, as, as, as Dr. Bernard said, it would be 2023 or, or earlier. We're excited that, that, that we did it in half the time that it was supposed to take. We did it in two years, what is supposed to be a minimum of a four-year process. God has been good. Urshan College, Urshan Graduate School of Theology, fully accredited. 
with the Higher Learning Commission, with the Association of Theological Schools, our seminary. And that's because the Urshan team is an amazing team. The faculty, the staff, the administration, the board, the general board. Some of the most incredible people serve here and are involved here. And so today you've been able to walk through the campus. And we're thankful for the 43 acres and the 300,000 square foot, the 1,000 parking places, uh, an increase of 700 from where we were. That's what this campus offers. We're not parking people in the grass and, and hoping we don't have to get a tow truck to pull them out. Uh, uh, you're on a parking spot. And the renovation to be here in this building. Brother Molina loves when I talk about all the cubicles that were through this building and that building. And when we came on this campus, it looked like the rapture had taken place. There were chairs. We probably have hundreds of chairs in the basement of this building that were left and phones and cubicles. And to see what has happened because people volunteered, members of local assemblies came. We had boxes full of keys that people were going every door just hours after hour after hour building classrooms retrofitting God has been good to us and we are so thankful for all of the people that is in this room that have been a part of the family amen we are so excited to see what God is doing here and and our continued renovation renovation to go through CSOP and to realize not only uh, apostolics, but any scholar can come. And if they want to know what the oneness apostolics believe, they can come right onto this campus. They can go through our archives and they can see we have a glorious heritage of oneness apostolic pioneers who paved the way and gave themselves to this. And then just recently, uh, N.C. Sarah, and, and that's not a, a young lady from Brother Huntley's church, but N.C. Sarah means that, that we have been authorized. It's the uh, National Council for State Authorization Reciprocity Agreement. And we can offer distance learning in all 50 states of the United States of America. Including California, Brother Hodges, including California, which was in its own. Brother Bernard had been working on that for years, and it all came together. We are blessed. We are here to celebrate the blessings of the Lord, a faithful God. That our elders and our pioneers who started forming committees, that vision has come to pass. We are seeing it here. It's realized today. It's realized today. So it's a beautiful thing to see that vision come to pass. This clear, compelling vision of the future that was cast. And I remember being cast about a, a, a graduate school and then about Urshan College being a part of casting that. And to see that happen. And I see it every time I walk through this campus with the students. To see them in class, to see them in chapel services, to hear them preaching and singing. Hey man, God has been so good to us. And so when I came on board and, and even came as president, I didn't come with my own grand vision because we had a vision to fulfill. But the wonderful thing about tonight is we have seen it come to pass and the vision is all around us and around the world. Students, as far as Australia, if you go back in history, the Nile would overflow its banks and wash out boundaries. And so as a result, surveying was brought into pass to be able to survey and to put the boundary lines back where they're supposed to be, the, the plots of land. In fact, it, surveying has quite a history in the United States, beginning with 1632 when King Charles I of England gave Lord Baltimore the colony of Maryland. And then 50 years later, King Charles II gave William Penn 
territory to the north, which would become Pennsylvania. And all of a sudden, conflict about where are the lines, where are the property lines, would lead to surveyors coming in and beginning to take this new territory and to figure out where are the boundary lines, where, where is Pennsylvania, where is Maryland, and, and out of that would come the Mason-Dixon line because of Charles Mason, Jeremiah Dixon. In fact, you go beyond that, if you want to look at the very beginning of point of U.S. Public Land Survey, it's a point in the United States that in 1786 they began northwest, uh, they began a formal survey in the Northwest Territory, what now makes up Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Thomas Hutchins began to survey this initial east-west baseline. And this right here, you see, is the beginning point. And they say it's the beginning point undertaken by any nation. This is commemorated now to show that this is where it starts. This is a solid place that, that we can always map out. And when there are turbulent times that, that mess with the boundaries or the landmarks, we can always come back to our point of origin. We can start to measure it out and lay it out in there. That's what, that's what benchmarks are all about. It, it's about a point of reference where uh, we can always go back there and make sure the lines are right and the, the landmarks are properly. The writer of Proverbs in the Old Testament undertaking landmarks and benchmarks and boundaries he notices uh, that how in important they are. He talks about the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision of, is from the Lord. Realizing as they would divide up this new land that they were going into, they would have to divide it between the tribes, and eventually it would come down even to those who would have their own section in each tribe. So they would begin to realize that. November's, uh, Numbers 26, the land shall be divided by lot. 2655, according to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided. So they would begin to land, lay that out. In fact, throughout the scripture, we see this terminology, this idea of, of the lots. And we continue to use it today when property, a lot is for sale. You can purchase that lot. and We can even use it figuratively. We can talk about our lot in, in life. But once the landmarks were established, they were to main, remain steady. They were not to be moved because to alter it was considered to alter the gift of God. It was his inheritance. He's the one that gave the land. We believe that by God's hand, each and every parcel or lot was, was given to each and every individual. Deuteronomy over and over says, You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set. It's your inheritance. Uh, Deuteronomy 27, 17, Cursed is the one who removes the neighbor's landmark. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight: Do not remove the ancient landmark. Over and over and over again. Because if you were to remove the landmark, you were to take away the inheritance. And when you took away the inheritance, they would not be able to, to, uh, to use that for, for prosperity, for, for farming, or, or any other means of support. So you were literally taking away his livelihood and could take away his life. In fact, this is what's so incredible about Naboth's vineyard in First Kings that Naboth said, the Lord forbid that I would give up my, the inheritance of my fathers to you. He understood that they believed that in the casting of lots and in the dividing of land, that God's hand was in it, even, even when they weren't sure how it was all going to work out. But all throughout there, God was a part of that. And so Naboth said, I, I, I won't compromise this vineyard. This is my inheritance. Paul would talk about that in a, a unique way in Galatians when he talks about some perverting the gospel of Christ. He said, if we are, are, are any others, or any angel, preach any other gospel than, 
what we preach to you. Let him be a curse. Paul was saying that what has been passed down to us is, it goes back to the point of origination. It goes back to the God who gave it, who inspired it. And so this is not something we mess with. This is something we hold dear to. This is something that we go forward. Because the thief, as John 10.10 says, is always coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Uh, My neighbor... Uh, I loved my neighbor at the first house, but we were young when, when uh, we bought the house on Reckinger Road. And I noticed my neighbor, he, he mowed, and it seemed like he, he was getting closer and closer to my house and mowing his property. But I really didn't care because I thought, you know, the more he mows, the less I have to mow. You know, and I thought maybe I'm just not sure where the lines are. And so it seemed like it was just uh, one strip and then a couple of strips until we went to he put up a fence. We went to sell our house. And he had put his fence right on our property. And, and, and it had been so subtle, just a, a little bit at a time. And, and I sort of liked it until I found out he was going to take some of what we were paying for, some of, some of what we were going to go forward with. And the surveyor there is pretty interesting. He took me to the back of our yard, and there was a stone because this we purchased the original farmhouse in, in that area and the subdivisions and all that had come later and, and that had been replaced where the fields had been. And he showed us that stone that was there. And he let us know that this is the original boundary stone that you can go and you can see where he sort of encroached on what you paid for, what's a part of, of your property. And I stand here today and, and realize that Urshan is owned and operated by the United Pentecostal Church International. And our, the mission of the United Pentecostal Church International is the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. And when we look at the decades of pursuing uh, all of our institutions and education, I am so glad that here in 2021, we are just as committed to, to our point of origin as we have ever been before. We are still as apostolic, Pentecostal, loving holiness and righteousness as we have ever been. There are some things that do not change. Visions should change because visions should be accomplished. And so what we celebrate tonight is some grand visions have been fulfilled and accomplished, and we celebrate that. And so while we look to going forward, we look to new visions and things that God wants to do in the future. But at the same time, there are some things that never change. Your values and your mission never changes. You always have to go back to the Word. You have to go back to that point of origin and say hey the lines are still where they have always been and while we go to new visions we have not lost our mission and we go to grand visions we have not lost our values we still believe that the Bible is the word of God we believe in spiritual fidelity we believe you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost empowered by the baptism of the Holy Ghost these are things that we were founded upon and we still hold as strong to them today as we ever have those are not up for because that's our values that's our values academics we believe in quality and excellence we believe in integrity we pursuit of purpose servant leadership cultural diversity scholarly collegiality we are committed to apostolic doctrine and identity Pentecostal experience relationship and empowerment because that is who we are that's who we are And so even when we start talking about vision, we have to make sure we start with the whole gospel. The whole gospel. That's why we 
buy into the fundamental doctrine of the United Pentecostal Church, you must be born again of water and of spirit. A sextant is used to navigate for modern technology in very troubling times or turbulent times if you're on the waters that are constantly moving. And, and the way it, it works is that you have to find two stable objects. You have to find maybe the horizon, maybe the star. And you're able to put that and, and find out where you are. And even with Greenwich time, tell, tell what, what, what's going on based on using the sextant. Everything around you can be, be moving, can be going tossed to and fro. But if you can find those two stable points, you can navigate no matter what is going on. And in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of things that have been going on. But you know what? The apostolic movement and Urshan is going to be able to go into the future no matter what the future holds, no matter what's taking place in our world, because we know where to fix our eyes. We fix it on the Word of God. We fix it on the Spirit of God. And those things never change. And we can navigate through anything. It doesn't matter what next month or next year has, as long as we have these in our sight. Amen. And so this is what... Urshan is, we believe in the whole gospel. But what really drew me to Urshan and to our future is that it's the rest of that mission statement as well. Not only the whole gospel, but the whole church and the whole world. It's exciting to be a part of the United Pentecostal Church and more than 228 nations and territories. And Urshan is a part of that. It's a part of preparing apostolics for service in the world, global missions. Uh, when we look at our alumni, we have at least eight missionaries, one aimer, and we have had an impact in France, Latvia, uh, Czechoslovakia, uh, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Vietnam, China, Uruguay, Tonga. And it's great to see us a part of, of the mission. When it comes to North American missionaries, we have had over, and this, I don't know if this has been updated, but church planners, four church planners, three evangelists, 39 pastors, five assistant pastors, 17 chaplains. We have a military chaplain right now embedded with special forces. And when you were touring the campus, you were to see our wall that we're going to dedicate in about two weeks. Our, our honoring our military chaplains that are there even in harm's way. Why? Because we want to take it everywhere. It's the whole gospel, but it's the whole church to the whole world. So we have military chaplains, hospice chaplains, hospital chaplains, prison chaplains, people who are able to go into environments and be salt and light because higher education has qualified and opened up that door. That's, that's why Urshan means so much to me. It means so much to me. We have in our world, not only to the church, but to the world, we have business owners, healthcare professionals. We have uh, numerous licensed professional counselors, social workers, educators. We have educators in secular schools. We have 14 that are working in our Bible colleges now because of UGST, helping other schools with accreditation. We have five authors. And so it's, it's to the, the world, it's to the mission, but it's in every part of the world that whatever God has designed or put into the heart of an apostolic, we believe that God has a ministry for everybody and we want everybody to be trained and equipped to fulfill that. And so we're excited about our global missionaries, our North American missionaries, our chaplains in every kind of environment. But we're also excited about those who are in the public school system. We're excited about those who are given health care and social services to make a difference. You see, Urshan's vision of the whole world drills down deeper than just national and global. 
We're so thankful for the preaching and of the gospel and the teaching of the doctrine. You can't be saved without the preaching. How, how are they going to be saved unless they hear, unless they're sent? This, this is the word of the Lord. And so we partner with our sister schools. And, and the United Pentecostal Church is such a great organization. Uh, we, we have 35,000 that show up to a national. And that's those who make it to a youth congress. Let me tell you, we have tons of students for all of our institutions in the United Pentecostal Church. All of them. And so we partner with our sister institutions, which I have personally been blessed with uh, as, as I was coming in. And we partner with them with Christian ministry. And, and then the only, apostol- the only oneness apostolic graduate school is right here. Man, UGST, where there's degrees in Christian ministry and theological studies and divinity. In music and music and worship. And so we join that, but we also are able to do apostolic studies where... People can come and get a a gen ed degree or a certificate of apostolic studies. And whatever field they're going to go into, they can transfer because of accreditation and go to a different college to finish up whatever that degree is. Let me tell you, our churches are going to be great and better off when the head usher, whatever he does, he's an electrician or, or in plumbing or an engineer, but he has an apostolic study certificate. And he's been grounded in apostolic doctrine and, and the Pentecostal experience. That, that when every, everything that we do, every profession, somebody can get apostolic training. Get locked in. Get empowered. And so human services, we, we can offer that now. And organizational leadership and communication studies and general studies. This is what our desire is, is, is the whole gospel to, to the whole world. Everybody needs an apostolic. I believe every firm needs an apostolic in it. <laughs> I believe every hospital needs an apostolic in it. I, I believe everybody needs an apostolic, and we want them to go, to be salt and light in wherever they are at. And so that's why we're proud of our graduates. And then what the vision is for Urshan. United Pentecostal Church, I was thinking about today how blessed we are with the growth of the United Pentecostal Church and talking about the number of ministers. But, and, and, and we can't know this because there's a lot of ministers in our churches who are not licensed, I realize that. But if we, I think it's probably pretty conservative to say that, that no more than 5% in our churches are either ministers of the gospel, pulpit, preaching, teaching, or maybe a, a music director at the church, no more than 5% of our whole fellowship. That means that the 95% that are going to live for God, serve God, teach Sunday school, be ushers, we want a place where every apostolic can come. Because if you haven't realized it, education is very much under attack in the United States right now. And you're not going to go to a secular institution and have somebody encouraging you to be an apostolic to dig into the word of God going to tie. We want there to be an alternative that anybody that wants to be an apostolic, no matter what God has done in your life and leading in your life, there is a place where you will go and you will be welcomed and you will be encouraged and you will get a foundation. As we wrap up tonight, Luber Gadsden, one of our organizational leadership managers, uh, majors, she's a first generation apostolic, exceptional student. A few years ago, she brought one of her co-workers, Darian, to one of our spiritual emphasis a week services. And that night, Luber, who's four foot eight, stood on a chapel pew and prayed Darian 6-1 through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's almost like Sister Russell anointing me, you know. 
which she would really like to do a lot of times, I promise you. Not only that, she brought five additional people to the Lord through her job. This is not after she had graduated. This is not when she was going down into her, though this was right here as a student. No, they were not students. Uh, Darian's brother, DJ, they became a part of the community. They're at Vespers and chapel services. Became involved in a local church. That May, after school was out, Darian was killed in a tragic car accident. But life had changed for him that last year. And, and Urshan was able to be a part of that. And, and I'm sure this kind of a testimony goes through all of our institutions. Because this is the quality of young people in the United Pentecostal Church. People who not only come to train, get trained and equipped, but who are also living it out while they are here. We have students who gave up full scholarships to major universities because they felt that they needed to have an apostolic foundation. They walked away from tens of thousands of scholarship money, Doc, because they felt like they needed to have an apostolic foundation. People who are starting degrees in leadership to start companies that their desire is to fund the mission and fund their local church. Students who want homes for girls who are in crisis and and you see the vision. And, and so today we stand here to say the sky is truly the limit for Urshan College and Urshan Graduate School of Theology. We're thankful for our current enrollment. If, if you're new to the campus, we're, we're so excited. 468 students. We've had increases the last two semesters in spite of COVID and everything else. We have students that wanted to come. They wanted to grow. They wanted to learn in spite of everything that's going on. They felt an urgency that they can't wait till everything's right with the world to come and dig into the Word of God and what God has for them. We celebrate that. We look forward to breaking that 500 barrier here on campus. We look forward to a day when there's more than 1,000 students on this campus where all of a sudden this chapel is gone because it's classrooms, which is supposed to be. Those who walk through Building D, you can see where we're ready to put a new chapel and residential space where we have filled up. We've had to lease additional room because we have grown so fast. And so list, uh, additional space, residential space for particularly our young men. Thankfully, right now on this campus, as you've seen Building D, there's a ton of space that we could put so much there as, as those funds come in. And, and, and someday to have a chapel that, that can seat 1,500 to 2,000 in a chapel service, you have to realize the services we have at local churches, we have to cap it off because we have people to come. But, but not this. This is a United Pentecostal Church. Uh, World Network of Prayer, we have to turn down things. And Global Missions and NAM and all of our different divisions to have a place where people can come that's higher education. It's a learning center part of our mission to have a, a, a center for oneness studies. That to have that all here in Wentzville, Missouri is just such a wonderful dream that God is bringing to pass. And with distance learning, there's no reasons why we can't have thousands of students everywhere around the United States. The people throughout the country can log in, get great professors who are apostolic to their core, who are Pentecostal, who will teach them in whatever direction that they are going. We need thousands upon thousands of students there, and it's all possible because we serve a big God. Would you stand with me tonight? I'm going to ask Sister Russell to come. She's going to come, and she's going to lead us at the end in praying a prayer of dedication for these facilities. Uh, to see that all that God has done, Brother Bernard has shared 
But Brother Bernard could have been here for another hour sharing all the things that God has done. And I look back and see board members and former chairmen of different boards that are here who have been there and watched time and time again as God brought things to pass. Right now we're in a generosity campaign as we're getting ready for our capital campaign to be able to work on building D and, and uh, take down some debt. And You know what's so amazing about our committee and our board came up about that is just this idea that we have so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. And as you walk the campus, I'm hoping the Lord puts something in your heart. Amen. To come and to be a part, to partner with us. And when you walk through this, you know, it, it, you still see some of the stains on the carpet. We didn't have the money just to do all the carpet where all those cubicles were. But what's so cool is, is we clean that up as best as we can, we could. But week after week, I, I walk out of this chapel after spiritual emphasis and I see stains, and they're new stains. Because your young people, your children, have been weeping, crying on this carpet as the Lord has been calling them and directing them. They're not only doing it now, but as we said, they're all around the world. Whether it's chaplains with the military, missionaries, North American missionaries, Australia, various countries coming here. Because God is calling them to go forward. As Brother Bernard said at the beginning, we talked about having enough professors with the qualifications to teach here. Through UGST, now we're able to provide professors to be able to teach all over. Because people had a burden and a vision beyond their present. We can't wait till there are numerous additional programs. You know, we talk about vision. I found out, uh, Brother Bernard, that a lot of people have vision. <laughs> There's a lot of ideas out there, and it's great. A lot of vision, a lot of programs that can take place. We're looking forward to additional graduate programs. Right now, we're in the process of a doctor of ministry program for those who have a hunger to continue past the master's degree. And it's a beautiful thing to see how God unrolls that, what's taking place. And so I want to just take this time to say we're going forward. We're steady and unshaken and unstable times when everything that can be shaken seems to be shaken. We're really steady because we know what points to fix on, to navigate. And so we're, we're solid. And yet God is calling the whole church to the whole world. And it takes place because surrounding and throughout this building are amazing faculty and staff, administration, board members, alumni, students, families, friends. We say we are urgent because as a family and working together, amen, we can do great things in the kingdom of God. And so thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for celebrating what the Lord has done. Thank you for being a part. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your donations and your gifts. Thank you for partnering. And 20 years from now, it's going to be amazing to see all the programs that our apostolic young people can be a part of and go forward. The history that we have created. The legacy that will take place because we're not stopping here. And we want to thank the board of Urshan, past and present, 
who have never wavered in your faith and commitment. Your wisdom and leadership has sustained us. We are thankful for those who have gone before us, for their sacrifices and courage and faith while building on this dream of an accredited apostolic school. I can only imagine what some of them think of this new campus. Thank you, Chancellor Bernard, for your tenacity and vision to lead us in those foundational years. To see an accredited seminary and undergraduate school come to pass was no small feat. We have often joked that you will write a book about these adventures, and I can testify those will be exciting chapters. Thank you, President Coltharp, for your courage and vision to lead us forward in the new chapters in this urshan history. These chapters will inspire and guide us ahead. We are grateful to you. Thank you to an incredible team of administration, staff, and faculty. Your daily devotion to our students has been instrumental in bringing us to this new campus. And finally, thank you to our student body. You are the world changers, not tomorrow, not next week. You are the world changers of today who have come here to learn and grow. I believe you are the best generation this church has ever had. God bless you for who you are. As I look into your faces, I see the future. Keep the faith. You are why this new campus exists. We are grateful you have chosen Urshan. And now I um, have the privilege, privilege of giving the formal prayer of dedication. And after this prayer of dedication, I think that it would just be appropriate that we have a time of good old apostolic thanking. So let's, let's bow our heads as we pray a prayer of dedication for this new campus and for this new chapter of Urshan College and Urshan Graduate School of Theology. Lord, we honor you in this place. You are God who made the world and everything in it. You are Lord of heaven and earth. We come to you this evening not to give you something you need, for you need nothing. We come to offer ourselves to you this day as living sacrifices, individually, as an institution, and for this new campus. Jesus, let it be used to future your kingdom. We come before you with grateful hearts for what you have done by providing this beautiful campus for us. We dedicate every part of it to you, and we, we recommit ourselves to the mission of preparing apostolic men and women through higher education for service in the church and to the world. The call to prepare men and women to live the whole gospel to the whole world by being the church. God, we thank you for Urshan College and UGST, institutions which constantly seek to inspire its students to live lives dedicated completely to you. May students find their calls to be kingdom builders as they walk into each classroom, find purpose in the chapel services that happen in this very room, and develop deep abiding friendships. Let them be reminded of what it means to be the Urshan community. We pray this campus will be a place 
where light shines in the darkness, where both knowledge and wisdom are nurtured. May this be a place for generations to come where people grow in integrity, excel in academics, and become servant leaders. As we dedicate this campus to you, Lord, may this be a place where your word is honored and apostolic identity is grounded as we embrace the call to prepare the men and women that you entrust to us. Help us be reminded that while we are called to prepare and teach, we are also called to serve. We pray that you draw men and women to this campus and then send them out from here to every corner of the globe. We ask that you would raise up a generation of people prepared to be salt and light in their workplaces, their community, and their world. We pray you will keep us and remind us that it is your steady hand that has kept us to this moment. Work in us, work through us. We pray for unity. Let this campus be a place of safety. And we know, God, that places like this don't just happen. You give dreams to leaders. You give wisdom to gifted professors. And you stir the hearts of donors so that resources are provided to meet the needs. Help us to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before you. May all recognize as they walk on this campus and enter these buildings understand that this place is dedicated to the king of kings and that it brings honor and glory god may people that come here seeking knowledge discover what is even greater that their giftings and callings are to reach this hurting lost world we surrender these walls these buildings this campus along with our lives to your glory to your will we dedicate this place so that you will know your glory. May your kingdom come and your will be done at the Urshan campus. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If we could just raise our hands and thank him now for what he has done.